This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and open your Bibles, and uh, if you would open them to the uh, New Testament book of Matthew, and also to the Old Testament book of Joshua, and uh, we'll be going to both, both places this morning. When Matthew sat down to give us his account of, of the Christmas story, instead of beginning with the traditional approach of, of a baby in a manger and, uh, and the angels and wise men and, and, and shepherds and all of those things that we find in Luke's account, Matthew instead begins with a seemingly off-of-the-wall approach. He begins by giving the results of some research that, uh, that he's done. Uh, he's researched Christ's family tree and gives what we call a genealogy. Now, I know immediately as I say the word genealogy, you say boring, because that includes the famous begats. You know, so-and-so begat so-and-so, and this person begat this person. And, and so from that aspect, genealogies can, uh, can come across as super boring, but but Matthew's unique approach was more than, like, uh, more than likely because he was writing to the Jewish people, and he wanted to prove that Jesus was the real deal. He wanted to prove that Jesus was, was the, the real Messiah, that he was legit. And he wanted to prove that Jesus was related to all of the right people because in the Old Testament, there were prophecies that indicated that the Messiah would be in the family line of King David. And so as you read through Matthew's genealogical research, you indeed find that Jesus was related to all the right people. He was related to, to King David, to Abraham, to, to Isaac, to Jacob. But if you go through and, and study these names and don't just skip over them like most of us do, you find that Matthew also mentioned some people in Christ's family tree that were from, as, as we like to say today, from the other side of the tracks. They were rough. They were sleazy characters. They were not the type of people that you would look at with pride and say, those are my relatives. I'm so proud to be related to them. No. In fact, if their names were mentioned as being connected to your family, you would just kind of drop your head in shame. Now, now the question is why? Why would Matthew as he's giving the family tree of the Savior of the world, why would he mention those seedy characters? Well, I believe the reason these rough characters are included is because they're not only part of the story, but listen, they are the point of the story. They're the point of the story. And Matthew, in his book, was writing to a very, very religious group of people that were very, very prideful, of following their religious rules, and, and they believed that a right standing with God was based on good things that you had done and bad things that you hadn't done. And by the way, even today in this community, I, I fear that perhaps some uh, embrace this approach to God. They think, okay, God, I'm a pretty good boy. And, and here's what I found in this community. They say, well, I am politically conservative, whatever that means. And so because of that, God, I feel you should bless me. 
you should bless my kids, not to mention here are some good things that I've done and here are some bad things that I haven't done. And, and no, I may not be quite as good as M- Mother Teresa was, but I'm not nearly as bad as Osama bin Laden was. And so I believe that Matthew, in giving this genealogy to this holier-than-thou Jewish audience, is trying to help them to understand that, that God has chosen sinners. God has chosen lawbreakers and and rule breakers. God has chosen the rough and the seedy and the sleazy characters of society like you and like me. And listen, he loves to redeem us. And after he redeems us, he even loves to use us in his kingdom regardless of how bad we have been. Now, I realize that goes against what some churches teach. A a lot of churches have certain rules that limit what we can do because of our past. And they say, well, I'm sorry, but you're divorced. Or or you have two misdemeanors. Or you have a felony on your record. Or or you had an affair eight years ago. or, Or you had an affair eight months ago. And you have kids by three different men. Your family's just kind of messed up and dysfunctional. So... Here's what we want you to do. We want you to come to church because you need it. And we want you to pay your tithe because we need it. But you're going to have to sit quietly in your little pew, in your little chair, because you've got a checkered past, and so therefore you're not allowed to be involved in any type of ministry. Understand, if a church has those rules, those are man's rules, not Jesus' rules. Yes, there are consequences of our sins, and and at times we will need to prove ourselves. But but know that Jesus came to fully redeem us as sinners, and He has a ministry for everyone. And just so you know, throughout the entire ministry of Christ, you always find Him gravitating towards the rough crowd with the checkered past. You, You never find Jesus just hanging out for fun with holier-than-thou people that think they have it all together. So having said that, here is how Matthew chooses to lead us up to the Christmas story, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Paris the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, and I I said in the early service, I love that name. If I ever have another grandson, I hope he will be named Ram. So Ram the father of Amenadab, I hope he's not named Amenadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Now, up to this point, if you just stopped here, you would say, this family tree looks awesome. There are some movers and shakers. There are some rich people, influential people. This is a good family. Until Matthew brings in this very next name, whose mother was Rahab. Uh Uh-oh. If you've studied the Bible, you know that Rahab had a past. She, She had a reputation. She had a label. And and throughout the Bible, as well as even today, many people have labels attached to them. Let's see if you can fill in uh, some of these labels. If we could have some of the the house lights up just a little bit here, I want to see the participation of the crowd. But 
see if you can fill in some of these labels from the Bible. John the Baptist. How about this one? Nimrod the mighty hunter. Who said that? All right, good job, Duff. Um, Here's a little bit tougher from the Bible, okay? Not from history, but from the Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 4 talks about Alexander the... Not the great. From the Bible, Alexander the coppersmith. Coppersmith. All right, there, there was a man named James. He was the son of Alphaeus, and, but, but he was referred to as James the less or lesser. Mentioned four times in the Bible. This one's a little bit more obscure. This is for you Bible scholars. Uriah the Hittite. Here's one of my favorites. Bildad the Shuhite. The shortest man in the Bible. Bildad the Shuhite. I know that's really bad. Okay, now to the historical figure. Alexander the Great. Do we have any kids in here? Uh, yeah, let me see. Who? Uh, all right, here's one for the kids. The cat in the hat. Man. All right, Veggie Tales. Anybody watch Veggie Tales? Okay, this, this is for you, Veggie Tailors. Uh, Larry the Cucumber. Here's another Veggie Tales. Bob the Tomato. How about the television series for kids? Bob the Builder. Okay, here's one of my favorites. The good Christian YouTubers. Dude Perfect. How many of you have never heard of Dude Perfect in your life? Would you raise your hand? Ladies and gentlemen, you need to get a life. They are awesome. Go home. Don't, don't do it on your phone right now. But when you get home this afternoon, go to YouTube, type in Dude Perfect, and you will be addicted. You will be hooked. They are awesome. A good Christian, uh, some good Christian people there. And those of you that don't have kids or grandkids, you are so lost right now. That's okay. Um, but it's not uncommon for people to have a descriptive label attached to them. But unfortunately for Rahab, her label is not a good one. If, if you grew up in a church or in a home like I did where we, um, we use the King James translation of the Bible, Rahab's label was Rahab the harlot. Rahab the harlot, Rahab the prostitute. Now, obviously, for religious Jews, finding Rahab the harlot in the Messiah's family tree created a lot of uneasiness. And not only was there the matter of Rahab selling her body to satisfy the lust of dirty men, but secondly, Rahab wasn't even Jewish. She was from the pagan enemy Canaanite nation. She she was part of the people group that God had told Israel to kick out of the land of Canaan so they could move in and establish what would become the country of Israel. And so as we look at, at Matthew's research leading up to the Christmas story, it's almost like, uh-oh, we've got a harlot in the Christmas story. And again, Matthew could have left her out and just stuck with the names of people that were squeaky clean, but it's almost like he steps up there and goes, <clears throat> trying to get everybody's attention, and he deliberately 
reminds his original Jewish audience that in the lineage of Jesus was this immoral, low-down, foreign prostitute. Now, as we spend some time today talking about how Rahab fits into the Christmas story, I think it'd be helpful to review some of her story. If you want to follow along, that's where we can go back to the Old Testament, to the book of Joshua, chapter 2. Here's the context. The Hebrews, or the Jewish people, had left Egypt. They had been slaves for several centuries, but now they'd gotten out from under Pharaoh and were on their way to the promised land. And, and by the way, a lot of people don't realize this, but, but the promised land was the same land that Abraham and, and Isaac and Jacob used to live in. But when the seven-year famine came, existing Jewish people moved to Egypt and Joseph saved them from the famine. So the land originally belonged to them. They were just going home. This was home. But now instead of 70 or so people as, as they were when they originally went to Egypt, they now have a couple of million Israelites and a convoy getting ready to cross the Jordan River, move through an area that was controlled by the city of Jericho. Well, Joshua was the leader following Moses' death, and, and he was unsure of the area, so he sent a couple of spies into Jericho to th- check things out. And, and these two spies slipped into the city and began scouting it. All of a sudden, they were spotted. And the people that spotted them, they went to the king and said, King, we think there are two spies among us. And the king says, what are you waiting on? Go after them. So they formed a posse, began to search for these men. Well, a report surfaced that they were seen ducking into a house that was located on the outside wall of, of, of Jericho. And And of course, we later learned that this was, listen, by God's providence, God led them there to the home of Rahab the prostitute. God, listen, God led them there. Now, let me just stop and say this. If you happen to be caught by surveillance video going into the house of a prostitute, or if you happen to be seen you know in video footage going into an establishment uh, that advertises adult entertainment don't even try the line well god led me there okay don't don't try that line don't try that line to me don't try that line to to your wife uh nobody's going to believe you but this was truly the case in joshua in a very unusual unorthodox act of divine providence God led these two spies right to the home of Rahab. And I know some people, they smirk and they say, well, they obviously knew her or about her, and not so. This was God's providence. Well, the soldiers that come looking for them, instead of barging into her home to look for these two Hebrews, they knock on the door. Why? Uh, well, my guess is you probably never want to barge into a home like Rahab's because you never know who you might find there. I, I just made up that part. That's not in Scripture. But, but they knocked on the door. Rahab came to the door, and they said, Have you seen two Hebrew men? And, and Rahab told a partial truth, which was also a partial lie. She said, Yes, they were here. It was true. But then she lied said, Well, they, they, they left around sundown. 
just before the gates of the city were locked. And of course, every night they would lock the city gates for security purposes. But she said, if you hurry, you might be able to track them down. They shouldn't be too far away. And so the soldiers left in hot pursuit. She went upstairs to where she had hidden them. And that's where we pick up our text, Joshua chapter 2, verse 8. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof to talk with them and, and said to them, I know the Lord has given this land to you. Now, what's super interesting to me is that the word Lord in the original Hebrew language, that is the word Yahweh. Now, what's so special about Yahweh? Well, th this was a very sacred word. In fact, it was so sacred that it was rarely spoken. And, and most of the time, they would just write it down because it was too sacred to speak. Um, this name for God was viewed as the name above all other names. And so Rahab said, I believe that, that the God above all gods has given you this land. And goes on and says, and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting. And, and that a great fear of you has fallen on, on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. And then this shows how much spiritual insight she has. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. In other words, she was saying, in spite of what I've heard, in spite of how I was raised, in spite of what the schools are teaching us in Jericho, I believe your God is the God who rules and reigns over everything. He rules over our little fake, man-made, Canaanite gods that we worship. To me, it is so incredible that Rahab, Rahab the harlot, even though she had been raised in paganism and idolatry, yet she knew, she just knew that her gods were not real, and she just knew that there was a God that was real. Well, then she makes a request that has implications for the genealogy of Christ in Joshua 2.12. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I've shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. And the spies said, okay, our lives for your lives. The men assured her, if you don't tell what we're doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. Push fast forward now. As I said, the house she lived in was part of the outside city wall. She let them down outside the wall by a rope. The Bible refers to that as a scarlet rope. And they slipped away unnoticed and made their way back to Joshua. This is an amazing story. Now what happened next is, is a, a bit of Bible history that if you were raised in church, you, you know all about. It's the story of the Battle of Jericho. In fact, there's a little song about it, Joshua, fit the battle of Jericho, Jericho, and you'll be thankful I'm not going to sing the rest for you right now, but, but Joshua said, okay, here's the plan. Over the next week, as we begin to move on Jericho, you're not going to need your weapons. You just need your sneakers. You, you need your hiking boots because we're going to do a lot of walking. 
And so they marched around Jericho once a day for the first six days. And then on the seventh day, those of you who remember the account, marched around seven times. They blew their trumpets and, and shouted. And you remember how the walls just collapsed. Now, what's interesting is you've always got skeptics. And you've got people that say, well, you know what? Uh, when you have thousands of soldiers, this wasn't really that miraculous. When you have thousands of soldiers that shout at the same time, the sound waves could just cause the walls to come down. And, you know, I, I understand that. And we did have, uh, this was probably about three or four years ago in, in, in our bedroom, we had a, a jar that was full of pennies, about this size. And we'd been collecting pennies for 25 years in that jar, and it was pretty much full. And um, somebody was in there vacuuming, and they were about six, seven, eight feet away from the jar. And all of a sudden, that jar just exploded. And the glass went everywhere. The pennies spilled out. And I'm not a scientist. And uh, the only explanation I've been given was that the frequency, you know, the whine of that vacuum sweeper just reacted with the glass and caused it to come apart. And so going back to Jericho, some say, yeah, yeah. Sound waves of that shout just caused the wall to come down. But, but look at it realistically. Um, I think of some of the crowds that... Uh, that gather at football stadiums. The, the football stadium that's the largest in our, in our country is in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And uh, I, it used to be the second largest in the world, and I'm not sure if that's true, but it is the largest in our country. It holds a little over 107,000 people there. And Chiefs uh, Arrowhead Stadium, what is it, 70, 75,000, something like that. So this one is uh, significantly bigger. But a couple of weeks ago, uh, the the annual battle there you got uh, you got Michigan you got Ohio there border war and um, so you had the uh, Michigan uh, University of Michigan playing Ohio State and and Ohio State had had won the last eight games something like that but uh, a couple of weeks ago Michigan the Wolverines actually came out on, on on top and they dominated in that game that stadium Talk about loud. I wasn't there, but I can only imagine uh, 107,000 plus people yelling. But listen, the walls didn't come down. It could happen, but unlikely. So there are skeptics that say that's what other skeptics say. Well, there were so many Israelites walking around the walls that by the seventh day, you know, all of the walking had basically eroded. The foundations of the wall. And so it just collapsed. It's not a miracle. Well, I don't know the how. I don't care. Whether God caused it to happen through sound waves or through erosion of the ground. Or if God just touched the walls. The Bible says that the walls came down. It was miraculous. And then the Bible says the Israelites ran in there and pretty much... Took out everyone in the city except, except for one lady. Actually, she didn't deserve to be called a lady. There are a lot of other names that we could have attached to her. But lady was not one of them. But they spared Rahab the harlot. And then here's a key statement for our lesson. Joshua 6, 25. And she lives... This is huge. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. Now, what does that mean? 
This means that Rahab was an illustration that God is a God of grace who spared an outsider, who spared the enemy, who spared a prostitute, someone who by their own very law should have been condemned and not even allowed to live within them. God showed mercy and grace and spared her. Rahab's story doesn't end there. As the nation of Israel continued to move through and conquer the promised land, one day Rahab was doing her chores. She came in contact with a man named Salmon. Long story short, they fell in love, and this upright Jewish man married this former prostitute. They had a little baby and named him Boaz. Boaz grew up, was introduced to a young woman named Ruth. Ruth had a whole book of the Bible that told her story. Boaz married Ruth, and they had a baby, and Boaz and Ruth's great-grandson became a king. His name was King David. It's a crazy story. And so as first century Jewish people, as they read the genealogy of Jesus that included Rahab the harlot, this one name that stood out as such an aberration to holiness, as such an aberration to the family tree of the Messiah, But it was illustrating that this is the point of the Christmas story. God said, my grace is broader than my law. My mercy is broader than my judgment. And, And even though Rahab is guilty and immoral, and even though she's an outsider, a Canaanite, yet still God's grace and love and mercy are big enough. And listen, not only to save Rahab's life, not only to have her heart changed, but to also include her in the family tree of Jesus Christ. But as I think about this, her story is not so far from my story. And I think some of your stories. Because just as Rahab the harlot had a label, I think if, if I could peel back your heart and see your thoughts, and if I could study your past behavior, and your current behavior, and if I could know things about you, and if you could know things about me, things that we don't want anybody to know, I think the truth is that we all have a label. Some of us have labels because we have certain habits. Some of us have labels because we have certain addictions. Some of us have labels because we have certain relationships. Some of us have labels because we have certain fears. Some of us have labels because we have certain anxieties. I, uh, I made up a list of labels. These are made up. They don't reflect any, anyone in this church, but maybe these labels might describe you. Larry who lusts. Gary the glutton. James the jerk. Adam the addict. Chad the cheater. Peter the pornographer. Henry the hypocrite. David, 
the divorcee. Simone, the smoker. Danny, the druggie. Deborah, the depressed. Alex, the adulterer. Gordon, the gossip. Leslie, the legalist. And I'm guessing as Matthew is doing this whole genealogy and he emphasizes the name Rahab the harlot, I wonder if it's because Matthew also had a label. Remember his label? He was Matthew the publican, the tax collector, which was pretty much the worst label you could have in that day. But if you remember the story one day, Jesus looked at Matthew the tax collector and he didn't say, he did not say, Matthew, once you quit being a tax collector and you've repented of your tax collecting and you lay it down and promise you will never do it again and when you finally get a reputable job and a new label, then you can follow me. Not at all. Jesus caught Matthew right in the act of tax collecting. Right in the act of cheating. And Jesus looked him in the eye and said, Matthew, follow me. Even as you're still wearing your label. And that's what Jesus does. He invites all kinds of people with all kinds of labels to follow. And those of you that knew my dad, um, my dad had a lot of one-liners. And one of my favorites that he had was, God has more grace than the devil has sins. His forgiveness is broad enough to take in everyone regardless of their label. So before we change the order of the service, we're going to have a baptism in just a few minutes. I'm going to ask you a question. This is just a point of incredible transparency and honesty. We're going to find out how many honest people we have in the church. (laughs) But before we go, I want to ask you a question. Don't raise your hand yet. There'll be a time for that, but... How many of you would have to say, Joe, because of my past life, there's at least one label that could be associated with my name? Again, don't raise your hand yet. Or how many of you would say, Joe, if people could peel back my heart and and know my thoughts, and oh, Joe, I struggle so much with my thought life, but knowing my thoughts would probably generate a a label or two that would describe me. Don't raise your hand yet. Or Joe, if... If you just knew what I do or what I look at in secret that nobody else knows about, yeah, there would be a label. So in a moment of incredible transparency, whether it's from the past or whether it's from the present, whether it's known or unknown, whether it's public or secret, whether it's a thought or an action, how many of you would say, Joe, there's probably a label associated with my name. Would you just raise your hand and... I'll be the very first that would raise my hand. Just leave your hands up. Leave your hands up. Would you just look around at your brothers and sisters in Christ? Aren't we a mess? What do they say, a hot mess? (laughs) Welcome to the Church of God Holiness because we're a place for messed up, imperfect people that are seeking God. And that's why we need the message of Christmas because... The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. And 
And the message of Christmas is that Jesus wants to redeem us and make us new creatures in Christ Jesus. And this incredible verse that I hope you memorize, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a what? A new creature? Old things, so old labels are passed away? Behold, all things are become new. So, you have a label. I have a label. But by God's grace, let's not be held captive to that label. Let's be forgiven. Let's be cleansed. Let's become new. I want to pray. Maybe there's some of you that your label is in the past. It's been cleansed and forgiven, but it still is hounding you. Could I just say that if you are still carrying something that's been forgiven, would you let it go in the name of Jesus? But maybe there are some of you, you're still involved in that addiction. You're still involved in that relationship. You're still involved in in that sin. Remember, if God's grace extended to Rahab the harlot and was able to forgive her and cleanse her and give her a new life, bring a foreigner into the family of God, don't you think he could cleanse you and give you a new life as well? So as I pray this morning, if that's you... Would you just say, God, here I am. I bring my label to you. I bring my sin. I bring my, my life, my messed up attitude. I want you to forgive me and cleanse me and make me new in you. Let's bow our heads. Oh, God, I, wanna, I just want to thank you for the, the privilege of being able to come to you. Lord, thank you that there's forgiveness. Lord, thank you that Jesus came as a babe, lived a sinless life. So, And that was necessary because we couldn't do it. And so you did it for us. Lord, thank you that you died on the cross. Lord, the sacrifices that had been there for hundreds of years, the Day of Atonement, That old goat taking the sins of the nation of Israel out into the wilderness. The scapegoat. But God, you came. And Lord, that sacrifice is good for today. Lord, I pray for those that are dealing with the guilt of the past, even though it's forgiven. I pray that they would be cleansed and released from that guilt. And Lord, I especially pray for those who are still involved in sins. And Lord, they're still enslaved. And God, I pray that all of us today that through your grace we could find just a new beginning in our lives so Lord cleanse us Lord make us new make us new creatures and God I pray that we would go through Christmas this year with the right perspective and we could have a guilt free Christmas this year because our, our, our heart is right with you thank you Father for just the Thank you, Father, for the amazing plan of salvation that you put together. Cleanse us. Make us new. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Today it is our privilege to uh, be able to change the order just briefly. There's someone in our church that has changed their label, and 
And uh, they would like to make this public through uh, the very beautiful practice of baptism. And so we are going to proceed with the presentation of that candidate right now. Claire Anne Marie Waite began her life with the name Lee Shinje. It's a beautiful name. In English, Shinje translates to pure in heart. When she was eight months old, on June 24th, 2013, God blessed Gabe and I with a miracle as our family became three. And Shinje officially became Claire, which incidentally also means pure. And our slow-paced lives have never been the same. Those who know Claire know that she brings joy and life and energy wherever she goes. She's motivated by love and compassion, and she has never once met a stranger. Claire has gone through her fair share of heartaches and hard things in her life. From life-threatening illnesses and intense physical pain to the difficulties of having to make new friends and learn new cultures several times, to tough questions about her identity. Claire has both seen and felt the brokenness of this world. And at times, she has voiced tough questions about God and his goodness, his justice, his faithfulness. Despite Claire's love of jumping and running and climbing and cheetahs and all things fast— She is also a very deep and perceptive thinker, and the doubts and questions she had were in need of answers. Together, we read through parts of Lee Strobel's series for children, The Case for Christ, The Case for a Creator, as we continued and still continue to work through these difficult subjects. In addition to her questions for God, Claire really desires to do well, to be good, to please God. And with every failed attempt, the master liar whispered, "Uh, maybe this Christ-following thing just isn't for you. It was during the church's treasured conference for kids this last year that Claire began to hear the voice of truth. The one that said, you know, I'm not afraid of your questions or your brokenness, and you aren't going to scare me off if you mess up. I made you, Claire, and I really, really love you. And that voice of truth has continued to saturate her soul over this past year. It reminds her constantly that her salvation is not in how good she is, but rests in the gift that he already gave her. And she's beginning to feel how treasured she is as she runs back to Jesus each time new questions arise. And because of the work he has done in her heart, she now truly embodies her name, pure, clean. And so, baby girl, your daddy and I are so proud of you. We love you so much, and we are so thankful to present you, Claire and Marie Waite, as a candidate for baptism.
You know, I think it, uh, that this is, Jim said that the candlelight service is his favorite and probably is mine too, but I think it's, uh, this maybe tops that because this is, this is one of those moments where we get to witness what God has done, what Jesus has done, and especially whenever it's your grandkid. It just don't get better than that. So let's go ahead and proceed. Claire, would you want to come? Claire, you want to... I know you've prepared some things. You've just... uh, as Erica said, she just has such incredible spiritual insight that sometimes is way deeper than mine. And, um, Claire, you want to say just a few words here? Uh-huh. Okay, speak uh-huh. up so they can hear you, okay? Uh-huh. Are you okay? Can you? you? You want me to read it for you? Okay, all right, I'll, I'll read it for you. I used to think baptism was being more good and more good until finally you could be baptized. Um, Then the Holy Spirit led me to understand something. To be baptized, you have to choose God forever. And that is what I want to do now. Thank you, God, for your love for me. So amazing. And um, Claire has, has always just been so upfront with her faith, and whether it's Walmart, at Walmart checking out, she'll ask the cashier, do you know Jesus? Um, she's not afraid to just uh, speak up for, for her Lord. And uh, Claire, there's no doubt in my heart that you are ready. You are ready. You meet the requirements in the Bible. And so it is a joy for Papa to be able to baptize you. And let's go ahead and do that. In obedience to the Word of God, I now baptize Claire in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, again for your blessings. You are an amazing God. Lord, let this Christmas be extra special for us. Lord, let it be just so full of the presence of Jesus. God, the gifts and parties and family gatherings would not take the place of Jesus. God, we want to know Jesus and the power of his birth and the power of his resurrection. I pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And everybody said, Amen. 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 Merry Christmas, everyone. You're dismissed. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.